Romans chapter 5, if you'll go ahead and turn there. I think many of us can identify with what we just heard. Uh, and I think one of the main problems as to why we do not uh, keep up with our resolutions or the decisions we attempt to try to make at the beginning of each year is because we don't take it really serious enough. And what I mean by that is I'm talking about uh, it being a heart change, not just a mind change, but a, 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 literally what we're calling this series a revolution. And the word revolution, as I said over the last couple of weeks, is a far-reaching and drastic change which could relate to ideas, methods, methods, lifestyles, and perspectives. Revolution also carries the idea of words like repentance. It means seeing something that is wrong and turning away from it. It can also mean the whole idea of transformation, which is really what our salvation is all rooted in, is the fact that something is transforming. We are becoming less of the old man and more of the new man that is expelled out uh, by the Apostle Paul. So in 2018, this is how we began on December 31st. We looked at the subject of lead intentionally and then live passionately, and then, and then today we're going to be looking at love lavishly, lavishly. So, so the word lavish, if you, if you really think about it, it means to expend or give in great amounts. Actually, it means to give without limit. It expresses the generous nature of the giver. And in just a moment, we're going to see that this is the kind of love that God has for us. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But let me ask you a couple of questions before we get too far in the sermon. Does this love, this lavish love, describe your love for God and others? Or maybe a different way of looking at it is, how would people describe the love that you have for them? Whether you're talking about your family, your neighbors, your friends, how would they describe your love? So look at the introduction. God designed us to have a love for him and for others. If you were to go to Psalms 139 that we looked at briefly last week, you will find that God not only created us, and this, is, this kind of blows my mind when I think about it. He not only created us, he designed us. Now, when you say creating something, it's the whole idea that you could just create something and it could exist. But when you carry it a step further and say, okay, God designed you, that's what carries on a whole different meaning. It means he put things within you. He gave you the abilities to do certain things. And one of those abilities that we know that he gave us is the ability to love. So much so, God wanted to give us the ability to love so much so that he put two human beings in a perfect place in a garden and he put something there where they had to make a choice whether they would love him or love something else. And what did they do? They chose something else, didn't they? But that's how extreme, that's how radical God is when it comes to this whole idea of love. And it's because he desires us to love him in the ways that he loves us. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. But he designed us in that way. And that really blows my mind when you think about it. He didn't just create us. According to Psalms 139, he designed us. Now, look on your outline. He modeled this love through his love for us that has been poured out on us. And it says it this way in Romans 5, verse 5, the latter part says this, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now the phrase in this verse, the, the idea of being poured out is where we get the whole idea of lavish 
lavish, or in this way, his love, meaning God lavishly gives his love to us. It's not something where he just kind of holds it out there and says, and tests it, well, do you want this? Or, or he keeps it from us in some ways, and then he gives it to us in other ways. No, it's the idea that he just pours it out on us. And that's the kind of love that the Bible describes that he has for us. So let's go into more detail about this. What does God's love for us look like? I want, to, I want you to look at Romans 5. Now, here's how I want you to approach this in Romans 5. If, if you like to write in your Bible, I'm going to teach you how to do a Bible study the way I approach Bible study. Okay? And so if I were to go and I were to say, okay, I'm going to attempt to understand this passage, I might do several things. I may highlight things in a certain color. I think some of you, I've talked to some of y'all, some of you do that too. Sometimes I'll underline something, sometimes I'll circle, circle something. And so what I want to challenge you to do, if you have a pen and you have a, paper, a, a, a Bible that you can write on, I understand. Uh, I, want you to, I want to challenge you to do this because this is, this is a good Bible study. I'm going to do it very quickly. Uh, where it says the whole idea of our condition, you see on your outline, our condition, I want you to circle those words that describe our condition, okay? And I'm going to give them to you. I'll give you the answers, okay? And then when it describes his care, I want you to underline those. Are you with me? Okay, this will be something that can help you see. This is the, the approach that I take when it comes to Bible study. I'm like, well, what is he trying to communicate? What's he comparing to? What's he trying to give an answer to? Well, here it is right here, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, okay, you want to circle that. That is our condition. Without strength is our condition. It means we're incapable. There's nothing we could do. We were there. For when we were still without strength, we were incapable of responding to God. In due time, that phrase in due time is a very interesting phrase. It means there was a moment of decision for God. In which he, listen, this, this is interesting, in which he was going to act on our condition. The fact that we were incapable, there was nothing we could do about it. We couldn't reach out to him. He had to reveal himself to us through the Holy Spirit. But he, what he says there, in due time, means there was a moment of decision in which God made the decision to come after us. Now that is amazing. And that is a love that he has for us. But then it says this, in due time, Christ died... You want to underline that. That's, that's his care for the ungodly. Now, circle ungodly. That's who we are. So, so far, what do we have? We find out that we are without strength. We're considered ungodly. That means we're, we're in no way close to be, uh, representing who God is. And so we're ungodly, but he died for us. Okay, so far, that's what verse 6 tells us. Look at verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. So he's given us like a parenthesis and he says, you know something, maybe there are those who would die for certain causes. But let me tell you this, the person that Christ died for, which is a description of us, so far tells us that we're ungodly. Would you die for that? He did. Verse 8, but God, I talked to many people in our, several people in our church that love this conjunction, but God, demonstrates his own love. Now, his own love is the motivation for which he's doing this. It is because his love for us that he's even doing this. Demonstrates his own love, how? Toward us. You see what I'm saying? He's, he's coming towards us, all right? In that while we are still sinners, you want to underline that, 
Okay, I'm sorry, circle that. That's our condition. We're sinners. So, so far, we're without strength. We're ungodly. We're sinners. And then here it is again. Christ died for us. You want to underline Christ died. Second time he's told us that. Speaks of the sacrificial, atoning uh, sacrifice that Jesus was that, that, that literally uh, reached out to what God was expecting of us and said, no, put that upon me. I'm going to do it on their behalf. That's what it is. That they may be acceptable to you, my father. That's what all that was about. Then it goes on in verse nine. Much more than having now been justified. You, you want to underline that. That's his care. By his blood, underline that also. So we're justified by his blood. What does that mean? It means we're made acceptable before God through the death of Jesus Christ. And that was his care. That's what he's doing on our behalf. Much more than, verse 9, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved. That, that again, is his care. You want to underline, be saved. From wrath. Wrath is something you definitely want to circle. That was our condition. So, so far, what do we find out? We're without strength. There's nothing we can do in and of ourselves. We're considered ungodly before God and his righteousness. We're, we're sinners so far. Uh, we, but however, we need to understand that we're also, because of that, we're an object of God's wrath. That means if nothing is done, this will be the outcome. God's wrath will be poured out upon us. And he's basically saying, I just want you to understand what you're being saved from. You're being saved from God's wrath. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, were enemies was our condition. You, you definitely want to circle that. And yet some of you are sitting here this morning saying, I can't ever remember a time I was an enemy of God. I never went after God. I've always had a healthy respect for who God is. Let me just say this, based on the authority of God's word, if you overlook Jesus in any way that you're looking at God, you're his enemy. Think about that. God said, here's the provision. It's found in my son. That is the only way we're acceptable to God. Any other way that we're attempting is not acceptable to God. It does not help us in our condition. And so, therefore, the, the, the answer to our condition is who? Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. And he's telling us, that he's, he's getting us to understand all this. He says, verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were, we were reconciled. You definitely want to underline that. That is, that is uh, his provision, his care for us is that he reconciled us. He took us from a place of being an enemy to being a friend of God. That's what Christ did. And by the way, this is unpopular with the world. Jesus is the only way that we can move from being an enemy of God to a friend of God, to a child of God. It's the only way. It's what the Bible says. And then it says, how will we reconciled? To God. That's the Father. Through the death of a son, much more. Having been reconciled, he's saying it again. You want to definitely underline that. He says, having been reconciled, as a result of being reconciled, we're now saved. Our, 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 is there a solution to our problem? Is there a solution to our condition? Yeah, his care. How are we saved? By his life, Jesus's life. You see, now some of you are saying, oh, so that's how you go about trying to understand God's word? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the way I go about it. 
A lot of times we like to jump to commentaries and see what other people say about. But let me encourage you, maybe, maybe in 2018, to go into God's Word and, and forget the commentaries for a little while. Sometimes they can mislead you a little bit. Stick with God's Word. Just allow the Spirit of God to speak to your heart. And start asking these tight questions. What is being presented here? What's happening here? And in just these moments, I've shown you how we, in God's Word, it's so clear what our condition was before Christ. But as a result, we see His care. And that's what it's all about. And by the way, that is how he reveals his love to us. So look at your, your outline. Our condition, we were without strength. We were ungodly. We were sinners. We, we were object of wrath. We're, we were his enemy. His care is the fact that he died for us. He justified us. He saved us. He reconciled us. What does all that mean? At the moment we receive Christ, something miraculously happens. We change at least our soul and spirit do. Our body has not yet been changed. That, that is to come. Not only that, we become indwelt by the Spirit of God. But here's the greatest part of it all. And Romans tells us this. We also become, listen to this, an object of God's love. You're an object of God's love. Now, I, again, and I've said this before. Some of you cannot remember a time in your life where you didn't have a thought about who God was because your parents raised you to acknowledge who God was. You always probably heard the stories of Jesus, especially if you were raised here in the good old South where everybody was connected to church and all that stuff. But you know something? We've grown so accustomed to that message that we forget what's really behind it. Think about what's there. When we were ungodly, when we were enemies of God, when we were unlovable, the lovable came to the unlovable to make them lovable. Think about that. That's the message that we have here. So in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says this. We love because he first loved us. So therefore, our love, listen to this, our love for God is a response to his love for us. It's not that we go out there and we're starting to set the conditions for our love for him. No, he's already said, I'm going to provide this for you. This is the conditions in which you love me, that you accept my son, that you understand the, 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 the realm and the possibilities of what that love can do. And then he says this. So we go from his love for us for our love for God. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We're going to see what Jesus says about this whole idea of love. But as you turn, I want you to listen to this. It is important for us to show God love. It's important. Uh, our relationship is built on the fact that we demonstrate our love for him. So, how do you show that? Well, a group of teenagers were enjoying a nice meal at a local restaurant when one of the teenagers suggested that they go to a party where there would be drinking and drugs. One of the girls said to her date, my dad would not approve of this. Please take me home. One of the girls asked sarcastically, are you afraid your dad might hurt you? And the girl replied, no, I'm afraid I might hurt my dad. I want you to think about what that means. Well, we don't hear a whole lot of that anymore, do we? It's a whole idea of no, 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 no. I, I'm not afraid of what, I might, when my, what my dad may do to me. I'm afraid of what I might do to, to, to my dad because I care enough. You see, the girl, listen to this, the girl, the true child of God who has experienced the love of God finds it difficult to sin against that love. I want you to think about that. When's the last time that's crossed your mind? 
It's amazing what sin does and how enticing it is and, and how deceptive it is. And it's amazing that, yes, we, we've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, yes, we are attempting to renew our minds and move in the direction God has for us. That, that yeah, uh, positionally, we're no longer an enemy of God. We're, we're a friend of God. We're a child of God. All that was provided by him. Positionally, that's where we stand. But some of you walk in here today. And maybe that was something that was back there in your past where you accepted Christ and you received him as your, your Lord and Savior and you made that decision to give your life to him. But something's happened along the way until now it's getting fairly easy to sin. It's getting fairly easy to kind of step over that love that God has for you to walk into that sin and and you've been dabbling in that. Now it's got to the point where it's deceived you and now you think it's a part of your life and God understands and... and, and Listen, when we are in right fellowship with God, I'm just going to put it on the bottom shelf. When we're in right fellowship with God, it's not easy. It's not easy to just go out and sin because you literally have to step over his love to get there. And that's something we lose sight of. So many times we just, we got to keep that at the forefront of our minds. And to me, that's where a good devotional life comes from. That's what us renewing our mind each day and coming before the Father and, and offering our prayers up to Him. And there's a, there's a relationship that's formed because of our prayer, because of His love letter for us, which is His Word that we engage in on a daily basis. And as a result, there's a, there's a vibrant relationship that takes place. It's not just something that was back there in our past and we got our fire insurance and all that. No, there's an ongoing relationship. Where I'm understanding on a daily basis, don't daily basis more fully who God is and his love for me and the love I should have for him. That's what it's all about. So in response to his love for us, how are we to love God? Jesus tells us, Mark 12, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he's really quoting from the Old Testament. And here's what Jesus says in verse 29. Jesus answered him, the first of all, or the greatest of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God, how? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first. This is the greatest commandment. The love of God. Listen to this. This is a great statement. The love of God deserves and demands our all. How many of you agree with that? Do you agree that his love deserves our all? Do you, do you agree that his love demands our all? That's really what it comes down to. So how are we to love God? Look on your outline. First of all, with all your heart, it speaks of a pure love. A pure love. It's a love that's not hypocritical, but it's sincere. It's the real thing. It's a love that is not defiled, but is innocent. A love that is innocent. Max Licato has written, many of you have read many of his books, but there's one thing that he wrote several years ago that I thought was really interesting, and I think it describes our problem most of the time. Listen to what he says. We too easily open the door of our heart. How many of you agree with that? We do. We're just too easily open our heart to stuff, to deception, to the wrong person, to something that's contrary to God. And so, and so we're just, we just kind of open our heart to things. Anger shows up and we open the door. Revenge needs a place to stay, so we ask him to pull up a chair. Pity wants to have a party, so we show him the kitchen. 
Lust rings the bell and we change the sheets on the bed. With everything attacking our heart and fighting to get in, Jesus is also there. He's at the door. He stands at the door and knocks. But understand this. He only wants in, listen to this, if he can, if he can have your heart to himself. Now think about that. But what are, we, what are we putting in there with it? When we start adding things to it, let me just tell you what it becomes. It becomes a hypocritical love. Something that's not sincere. Something that does not demand the demands of God. And, and, and so many times we look, listen, when we love by giving our all, listen, that is true revolution. That is true repentance. It's true transformation. God only responds to a pure, sincere, surrendered heart. Second of all, your love, or you love, you are to love God next with all your soul. It's a passionate love. I want you to think about this. I, th I think we think God is just this big created, or not, not created being, but he's, just, he's a God that's just been out there for eternity and, and, and he's just there. What, what, what does my love really offer him? You ever thought about that? It's like, is, am I really that important to someone of that caliber? Well, the Bible says you are. The Bible says that you're the kind of person that he reached out to. Now think of this. God wants to be loved with our emotions, our feelings, our desires, and our affections. You mean to tell me something, someone who is so vast, who is so, I mean, he, he, there's, no, there's no limitations to who he is. He needs that from me. He desires that from you. He doesn't need it. He desires it. The only thing he wants you to do, listen, is to respond to the love that he's extended to you. That's all he wants. As a result, everything else will fall in line. He wants to be the last person on your mind as you fall asleep, the first when you awake. A passionate love that acts and responds Jesus, in the book of Revelations, told the church of Ephesus. You remember, there are seven letters in which Jesus himself sent a letter. He, he's talking about the church at Ephesus. And, and the fact that he addressed that they had left their first love. They had lost their passion for him. And he, he's calling them out. He's saying, hey, let's get back to that. Back when it was pure. Back when that love was sincere. How many times have you maybe talked to your wife or, your wife reminds you and says, you remember when we first met? You remember the love that we had for each other? I mean, we, I mean, we, it was so real. It, it just seemed, it was demonstrated, it seemed to be in so many ways. And, and, and I mean, what's missing now? 50 years later, I was kind of kidding the group on Wednesday nights. Now, remember it used to be when we'd get in bed with one another as a married couple, as a married couple, y'all preference that. Uh, and, and we would be there and, and we couldn't get enough of each other. You know, we'd hold each other and that kind of thing. 50 years later, get off me. Get on your own side over there. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you relate to that. It's like, what are you on me for? You know, uh, What's that noise coming? Be quiet. You know, I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> but, but it's that whole idea of getting back to that first love. 
And it's amazing that, listen to this, to understand the seriousness of our passion for God, listen to what Jesus told the church at Ephesus. He said, first of all, remember. Do you remember the time, the first times when our love was real for each other? Do you remember when your love for me was sincere, when it was passionate? And then he says, not only remember, but repent. That means turn back to it. You've gone away from it. Turn back to it. And then the whole idea of moving, repentance is a change of direction. But then he says this, return. Come back to that, to their first love. Do those first works. Back when I, when I was what you thought about, when I was the motivation of your heart, when you, when you realized that I brought you from being an enemy of God to a friend of God, to a child of God, to someone who's now an object of God's love. Live like that. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a passionate love for God? And if you do, what does that look like? And it's interesting. I, I love our praise team. I, I really think that God is working in that group of people and growing them in great ways. And it's just so fun to watch some of that take place. And, and it's so neat to think that these are people who love God. And sometimes you can see it in the worship. And what they're trying to bring us to. Do you realize what the praise team's trying to do? I've heard their prayers. I've heard the, the leadership tell the, tell the team on the stage, listen, we're inviting people to come before the throne of God. We're inviting people to come in such a way that they can worship and demonstrate their love for him. That's what it is. That's what worship is. To show worth of something. To show, to demonstrate. He goes on, you're to love God with all your mind. It's a perceptive love perceptive love listen to this christianity is a faith that is reasonable and rational don't be afraid at times to have doubts how many of you have ever had doubts about your faith anybody yeah i think we've all been there i guarantee you most of those doubts came by not just kind of some kind of head knowledge but something that hit your life and and, and just said you know, wow what what's that just hit me god why would you allow that in my life God, why would you allow that in someone that I love so much as life? Well, why is that all in place? And we have those doubts. Listen, your quest for answers will actually deepen your faith. Any person that you ever meet that's ever had a, a life-changing event happen in their life, and they came through it in a healthy way, they will tell you that through it all, there were doubts, but their faith was deepened as a result of what came into their life. And it's that deepened, it's not just a faith that's deepened, it's a love that's deepened. God wants you to love him by growing in knowledge of him and his word. Second Peter chapter three. These were Peter's last words that, he, that are written in God's word. Listen to what he said. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever, Amen. So how are we to grow? Well, we need to grow in grace. How do you grow in grace? By understanding the grace that was given to you and understanding how you are to give grace as a result of the grace that was given to you. That's the understanding of growing in grace. But how do you grow in knowledge? By getting to the point where you begin to see God as he truly is and you have a hunger for his word and you want to come and hear someone expound God's word and you, you want to be a part of a, of a Bible study to understand God's word more fully. And, and that's not enough. On a daily basis, you want to go before God and his throne in prayer and also with his word to understand him more fully. Peter says, don't ever get over that. 
Next, you're to love God with all your strength. It's a practical love. He says in 1 John 3, it says this, Dear children, let us not only love with words or tongue, but with actions. It's the whole idea of a demonstrated love. It's a practical love. God wants us to love him with our gifts and our abilities. He wants us, listen to this, he wants more than our words of praise, more than our heart and feelings. He wants us to love him in a way that can be demonstrated. God wants you to love him with all your strength, a love that is seen and demonstrated on a daily basis. Our love for him needs to be more powerful, listen, than any other pursuit in our lives. Oswald Chambers how many of you ever heard of him? Raise your hand if you've heard of him. My utmost for his highest. You ever, you ever read that one? How many of you are like me, you have to read it twice to understand what you're reading? I mean, he writes on a whole different level. And, 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 and sometimes you can get that devotional in a dummy version. <laughs> it can help you understand it more fully. But, but listen to this. This is a great quote. This came from one of, his, one of those days in his devotional. Listen to what he says. It's here on the screen, so follow me. If what we call love does not take us beyond ourselves, it's not really love. Now think about that. Just stop right there. A love that takes us beyond ourselves. It means this. If, if we don't have a, a, a love for God in which he's the object of our love like we were an object of his love. To a point that it takes us past our desires, our wants, our, our lusts and all that then we really aren't acknowledging that love in a proper way. You see what I'm saying? It means getting above ourselves, what we think we need, and looking to something greater. If we have the idea that love is characterized as cautious, uh, wise, sensible, and never taken to extremes, he's talking about radical love, then we have missed love's true meaning. This may describe affection and it may bring us a warm feeling, but it is not a true and accurate description of love. Have you, ever, have you ever been driven to do something for God? Listen to this. Not because you felt it was useful or your duty to do so or thought that there was anything in it for you, but simply because you love him. Have you ever realized that you can give things to God that are of value to him? Think about that. Our worship. His glory, reflecting his glory. Or, or, just, or, or are you just sitting around daydreaming about the greatness of his redemption while neglecting the things you could be doing on his behalf? Let me ask you this. How do you do things on his behalf? Love, listen, love the things he loves. You know what the Bible says about his love for things? He loves the widows. He loves the orphans. He loves the down and out. He loves those that can't help themselves. So if we're going, if we, how do we practically demonstrate it? By loving others. And Jesus is going to talk about that in just here in a minute as we move to the next point. And here it is. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Therefore, our love is a response to his love for us. And so there's that whole idea of our love for, for him. We just looked at that. How about our love for others? Mark chapter 12, look at verse 31. Jesus said, and the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. No other commandment greater than these. You love God with everything you got. And you love others. Now, I want you to think about this. There is a connection between the love you receive and the love you give. God loves and cares for people. 
And if we want to follow his heart, we'll do the same. Our love for others, number one, receives, receives. I want you to think about that. Look at the verse here with it. Romans 15, 7 says this. Therefore, receive. My, some of your translations may say, accept one another. Just as, also, just as Christ also received or accepted us to the glory of God. Now, let me tell you what that word accept or receive means. It means to have special concern. Special concern for one another. It doesn't mean we accept people in their sin. Does not even come close to meaning that. It does, however, mean that those who are in sin, that we have a special concern for them. So much so that we have the same type of concern Jesus had. And how did Jesus demonstrate his concern for those in sin? By having compassion. Compassion. Reaching out to them. But we receive them. Not that we accept their sin, but that through compassion we reach out to them. They become a special concern to us. Number two, our love for others appreciates. It says, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Here's another thing that we need to understand. We need to love the people, listen, that help us love him. We really do. The people that try to lead you, the the people who try to instruct you through God's word, maybe you're part of a connect group. You need to love those people. You may not have the same opinions about everything they have, but you need to appreciate the fact that they want to make an investment in your life. And they, they care about where you are. So it's that whole idea of appreciating. Turn to Romans 12 quickly. We're going to kind of move through this. Next, our love for others connects. It's really what Rodney was talking about just a moment ago. There's that whole idea of connecting with one another. And the fact that he needs, like he said, he needs you and and, and really you need him. We need each other. Romans 12, 4 and 5 says this. "For, For as we have many members in one body, but all of the members do not have the same function. So we being many and are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We are not to just live. Listen, we're not to just live for ourselves and just for our families. We're to live for others, to invite them into the processes of our life, to be transparent, to come alongside and say, hey, can I pray for you? Hey, let me just tell you what God did in my life when I went through something very similar to that. Bring in our experiences to the table. Not only our experience, but our knowledge of who God is. And, and we just need to connect around that. Next, our love for others. Uh, we serve, serves. If you look at Romans 12, verses six through eight, what you're reading there are the gifts, the spiritual gifts that are given to each of us. And so we're to serve one another. I want you to think about this. In our world today, this will blow your mind, 149,000 people will die and go to hell. In our world today. Think about this. That's almost two people every second. Does that not blow your mind? How about our love for others? It invests. Look at Romans 12. Look at verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. It means let it be sincere. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lacking in diligence, fervent in spirit, uh, fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, and then distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. 
It's the whole idea that we are to invest in one another. The Lord gave me something several years ago, something that was missing in my life. I love to teach. I do. I, I, I believe that's my spiritual gift. Some of you may be questioning that. That's fine. <laughs> but I know I feel more fulfilled when I'm up here doing what I'm doing. But God wanted me to carry it a step further some years ago, and I began to invest individually in, in, in individual lives. And so God started bringing people into my life. And, and, and right now, I have the joy of mentoring a, a, a young 12-year-old right now. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you. It, it, it far, I love what I'm doing right here with you. But you know something? One-on-one, -on -one, I get immediate feedback. I get immediate. So I think that young man just saying, hey, well, what about this? And have you ever considered this? And we talk about it and just get excited about God's word. And then I'm able to take God's word and say, practically, this is how this plays out in your life. What do you think about that? Give me some ideas of what do you think God means about this? That's the part that I'm, I'm missing with you right here now. I just have to assume that I can answer the questions you have. That's the reason it takes me so long on Sunday mornings. I'm trying to anticipate what you may have as a question for what I'm giving you. And it's that whole idea of, of, of just taking the time to invest in another human being's life. Who are you investing in? It's great that you're investing in your children, in your grandchildren. But God's called us to a, a bigger calling even than that. And that's for us to invest in one another in some way or in some form. Next, our love for others gives. In our world today, 26,000 children will, star, will die of starvation or a preventable disease. When you give to this church, let me tell you what's behind the giving. We have a finance committee that's made up of deacons. And one way that we as the pastors try to, try to um, um, uh, guide our deacons in, in finances is to, again, give to those causes that God cares about. And that's something that is sometimes can be very uh, difficult to do, to try to set a priority. But one thing that we try to do is that whole idea that we, don't, we want to give to the causes God cares about. So we give to homeless ministries. We give to Bible distribution. We give to missionaries who are out there on the field giving their lives and the calling of their lives to those that, that otherwise wouldn't hear it unless they were there. And the list goes on and on and on. So when you give here, you're giving to the heart of God because that's what we've determined that we think that God's word is saying. And so that's how we go about that. Next, our love for others forgives. Forgives. It's amazing. And I've done this. It's amazing how we can receive <laughs> the forgiveness of Christ and understand just how far we were away from him and the fact that he reached out to us when we couldn't do a thing about it. We were incapable. And he reached out to us. He extended forgiveness. He extended reconciliation. He extended redemption. He extended his sacrifice. I mean, he did it all. And yet someone can hurt us and we can never forgive them. I've been there. I've been that person that didn't forgive, that held on. There's still some areas in my life that I got to really get, I, I want to just be totally freed up. You know what I'm talking about? I've made progress in some of those things. I really have. I, I, I went from not even wanting to speak to the person to now engaging a person or, and now wanting to hear about their life and now praying for them. But there, there's still that little bit of, you know what I'm talking about? There's still that little catch there that I want to be 
free of completely. Some of you are not even that far. Some of you are like, man, when I see that, when I even hear their name, it just makes me ball. You know you're destroying your own life, don't you? I was. I was on that path. And every step of the way, I just felt more and more freedom. And just saying, God, I can't do this. I'm incapable. The love that you brought to me and the fact that I was ungodly and the fact that I was a sinner and the fact that I was detestable before you because of my sin, God, just as you just bring it into my life and me, help me to extend that to other people, no matter who they are. Here's the application. A love that is lavish, listen, is extravagant, unexpected, and extraordinary. Does this describe your love for God and others? I want to invite you to stand with me, if you will, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Father.